I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Du lytter til Parlamentet, Altingets podcast om Europa. Je suis venu vous parler d'Europe. Das ist ein guter Tag für Deutschland. Und es ist ein guter Tag für Europa. Brexit means Brexit. Lige om lidt vil det gå op for folk, hvor kompliceret det her. Ladies and gentlemen, hello, mine damer og herrer. Ja, vi begynder lidt på engelsk i dag her i Altingets podcast om Europa. Det gør vi, fordi at i dag laver vi en særudgave fra den store Brexit-konference, som Altinget har afholdt sammen med den britiske ambassade her i København. Det er altså en lidt speciel udgave af parlamentet, og hvis du synes, at Thomas Lauritsen ikke lyder som Thomas Lauritsen, ja, så er det fordi, at det slet ikke er Thomas Lauritsen, der er vært på podcasten i dag. Han havde nemlig rigtig travlt med at lave et interview med vores statsminister, minister Lars Løkke Rasmussen, om hvordan Danmark stiller sig i forhold til Brexit. Og det kan du høre i den næste udgave af parlamentet. Den er som sædvanligt på gaden på fredag. Men mit navn er Jakob Nielsen, og jeg er altså vært på denne her særudgave af parlamentet. Og i dag vil jeg gerne tage jer med hen til den Brexit-konference, som Altinget i dag holdt sammen med den britiske ambassade i Ingeniørforeningens lokaler her i København. En meget velbesøgt konference med næsten 300 tilhørere og rigtig gode talere fra både Danmark og Storbritannien. Og jeg har valgt nogle af dem ud til jer til denne her podcast. Det er først og fremmest chefen for Europol, Rob Wainwright, som kom til konferencen for at fortælle lidt om, hvordan det europæiske sikkerhedssamarbejde kommer til at se ud, når britterne engang er væk. Det er faktisk sådan, at britterne er de største leverandører af efterretningsoplysninger til det europæiske politisamarbejde, så det er potentielt en meget stor spiller, der forlader klubben, når britterne melder sig ud af EU. Så skal vi også høre en af den britiske regerings Brexit-ministre. Robin Walker hedder han, og han er altså en af de konservative ministre, som sidder i London lige nu og har den Lidt utaknemmelige opgave, kan man næsten sige, at skulle prøve at finde ud af, hvordan denne her Brexit-løsning skal skrues sammen. Man kan roligt sige, at det er noget, der volder britterne visse kvaler, og det siger Robin Walker også en del om i sit indlæg på konferencen. Men allerførst vil jeg godt spille et af indlæggene fra en af de danske deltagere på konferencen. Vi åbnede den nemlig med en god diskussion af noget af det helt centrale i forhold til Brexit-løsningen, og det er, hvordan kommer økonomien til at se ud. Vi havde Karen Hækkerup, direktøren fra Landbrug og Fødevare, og vi havde Anne Steffensen, som er direktør i Danske Ræderier, og deres budskab til britterne på konferencen var meget, meget klart. Begge to sagde, at de klart foretræk, at britterne sådan set ville blive i det indre marked og i det, der hedder tolunionen, efter at britterne har forladt EU. Men nu da det ikke kan lade sig gøre, sagde de, så find dog i det mindste noget, der virker på samme måde og bare hedder noget andet. Eller sagt lidt med EU-sprog, prøv nu at lave et soft Brexit, et blødt Brexit, hvor virkeligheden ikke bliver forandret 
alt for meget. Det var budskabet både for Karen Hækkerup og for Anne Steffensen. Og Anne Steffensen viste sig også bare at være ganske morsom, udover at være chef for Danske Rædderier. Hun sammenlignede i sit indlæg hele Brexit-forhandlingen med en tenniskamp, hvor den britiske premierminister Theresa May og hendes udenrigsminister Boris Johnson står på den ene side af nettet, og EU står på den anden side af nettet. Og det er som om, sagde hun, at Theresa May og Boris Johnson blev ved med at spille bolden til hinanden og aldrig får den slået over på den anden side af nettet. Kom nu, Storbritannien, lød det fra Anne Steffensen. Du kan høre hendes indlæg lige her. But when I'm here today, it's of course because also a big part of our business is, uh, is inside the EU uh, and not least uh, related to, uh, to the UK. UK is our biggest market in, uh, in, uh, in the EU. 5% of our total uh, revenues comes from, uh, from the UK. Uh, so it's a billion Danish crowners business uh, to, uh, to do business with, uh, with, the, with the UK. I also have to say that uh, we are important to the UK in the sense that the uh, Danish ships are a vital floating infrastructure uh, for the UK to the world, but also, uh, of course, from the UK to, uh, to the EU. Let me just say in general that uh, we are, of course, like everybody else, uh, I can hear that uh, from the previous speakers, very sad to lose uh, the UK in, uh, in the EU. With the UK, we are losing a like-minded uh, country, a clear voice uh, on, on free trade, a sensible country when it comes to regulation, and also a country which has sort of the same vision that we have for the EU, an EU which is small on small things and big on big things. So for all of us, it's uh, really uh, uh, depressing that the UK is going to leave us. So now it's basically a question of uh, trying to uh, do, I would say, damage control and asking for the transparency and the clear guidelines uh, and framework conditions that we will need as a business going uh, forward. What are our priorities in, uh, in Danish shipping? We have three priorities. First of all, so we are looking for frictionless trade, customs clearing, tax issues, fiscal barriers, which has to remain uh, non-existent or low. Today, about 4 million trailers each year are moved on the floating bridge across the channel. This is a very good example of an EU regulation which actually works. Today we have the customs union, we have common customs codexes, we have common reporting directives, which makes ships coming easily in and out of ports in the EU. We would like to keep it that way. Secondly, we are also looking to have a free movement of seafarers, onshore staff and of course also passengers. And last but not least, we are looking for a no market access restriction, restriction deal making sure that Danish shipping companies can uh, compete on fair conditions to get contracts, for example, in the offshore sector on the British shelf, and vice versa. Of course, also making sure that British companies in the future will be able to compete uh, in a fair play way uh, to get contracts in the EU. So we see a, uh, hopefully a common deal which uh, makes sure that uh, benefits and obligations go hand in hand. And I think that was also was being said uh, from, uh, from Ian uh, Owen from, uh, from, from the British government. So what are our worries? We do have some worries in, in terms of what we see in, in the UK. 
Um, first of all, we can see that uh, our counterparts in the UK, of, uh, uh, UK Chamber of Shippings, Shipping, they are of course trying to make the most out of uh, the situation. So they are beginning to look at blueprint for growth, trying to build a strong UK shipping uh, industry outside the European, uh, European Union, but also with a number of protectionistic uh, creative ideas, I would call it, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to put in there. For example, talking about local content, talking about having restrictions uh, on, uh, on flags, uh, on ships who are going to do business on the uh, British shelf, uh, questions about whether there's going to be British seafarers on board the ships and so on. So there are a number of things which are rumbling in the UK which we do not like to, uh, to hear and which we hope that the British government will make sure uh, are not being uh, taken uh, serious in terms of making sure that we can all compete on fair terms also uh, in the uh, future. So our expectations are basically that uh, like everybody else here, we are looking for a transition period. We are looking for a period of time where we can get into detailed negotiations as to what the future relationship is going to look like the EU is going to have a mandate clear, I'm sure, that we can agree to a transition period. We hope that the UK government will do the same. And our hope is that we will have trade which will continue to flow, maybe with small changes in the trade procedures we will see. We also hope that, uh, and, and think that there will be only minor changes to trade flows. We do continue to believe in continued high integration of markets, and we hope that the new relationship hopefully will look very much like the one that we have already today. I have stopped talking about we need the UK to accept the single market and customs union because it's been very clear from the UK ministers that this is not going to happen. So I think words matter, so let's call it something else, but let's hope that it's going to be a look-alike of what we already have. We don't know what the future relationship is going to look like, but I have to say this. When you look at what is happening in the UK, in the UK government, and this is said with all due respect on the difficult situations that the UK government is also in, you almost see a tennis court, and you've probably seen the cartoon. You have EU on the one side, and you have the UK government on the other side. And on the UK side, you have Boris Johnson playing Theresa May, and never really trying to get the, the, the ball on the other side of the net. This, I hope, will stop in the near future in the sense that we really need the UK government to come up and tell us what is it, what kind of a deal uh, do the UK want to uh, enter into uh, with the EU. The devil is in the detail. It's very easy to say what you don't want. It's always very difficult to say what you actually want. And I have to say this very clear. Insecurity, not only for business, but also for people, and for the future relationship, insecurity is a killer on both sides and can only make things worse than necessary. I will finish now, but I'll finish on a positive note. One of the films that my husband and I are sometimes watching when we are trying to get into a good mood is The Very Best Marigold Hotel. And if you have seen that, you know this young man who is trying to get this hotel up and running that every time things fall apart, he's not living up to expectations, everything is falling down his ears, everything is unclear and insecure, he says, it will be good in the end, and if it's not good, it's not the end. 
Thank you. Ja, sådan sagde altså Anne Steffensen, direktøren for Danske Rædderier på Altingets Brexit-konference. Nu skal vi høre en af de britiske deltagere på konferencen. Vi skal høre Robin Walker. Han er en ung konservativ minister i regeringen. Han er en af regeringens såkaldte juniorministre i det ministerium, der hedder The Department of Exiting the EU. Og ikke som man nogle gange kan tro, når man ser det skrevet ned. The Department of Exciting the EU. Det handler om at komme ud. Det handler om at komme ud på en ordentlig måde. Det ministerium står med en svær opgave. For på den ene side har de lovet britterne, at der ikke er ret meget, der skal forandre sig. Britterne skal blive ved med at handle med Europa på nærmest samme vilkår som før. Britiske virksomheder skal stadigvæk få fri adgang til det europæiske marked og omvendt. Ja, det hele skal faktisk være ligesom før. Britterne skal bare ikke lige være medlem af EU og være forpligtet til at følge reglerne. Den model er der mange i EU, der har lidt svært ved at forstå. Altså, hvorfor vil I være med, hvis I alligevel ikke vil være med? Og det var den opgave, Robin Walker stod med på konferencen i dag og forklare, hvad det egentlig er, britterne mener. Og en ting, han slog meget fast i det indlæg, vi skal høre lige om lidt, det var, at han lovede danskerne og de andre europæere, at britterne ikke vil indlede det, han kaldte et race to the bottom. Altså, at de ikke vil begynde at underminere miljøregler eller arbejdsmiljøregler i forhold til deres virksomheder, sådan så de ligesom kan slippe nemmere end andre europæiske virksomheder og dermed få sig en konkurrencefordel. Det er slet ikke meningen, sagde Robin Walker. Vi vil fastholde det meget høje beskyttelsesniveau, vi har nu. Ja, nogle gange måske endda lave det endnu højere, og vi vil blive ved med at følge de fælles regler, sagde han. Det var en, et forsøg på at berolige EU. Han sagde også, at Storbritannien ikke rigtig kan bruge nogle af de modeller, der findes allerede. Der er nogen, der har talt om, om Storbritannien kunne lave en handelsaftale med EU, lidt ligesom den Kanada har. Men der sagde ministeren, at det er slet ikke vidtgående nok. Vi har meget større samhandel med EU-landene, end Kanada har. Vi har brug for noget mere vidtgående end sådan en handelsaftale. I den anden ende af skalaen ligger et land som Norge, der jo som bekendt ikke er med i EU, men følger alle EU's regler og overtager dem, så snart de er lavet for at få lov til at handle frit med EU. Og den går heller ikke, sagde minister Robin Walker, fordi så er der ikke nok selvbestemmelse. Hele ideen med Brexit var jo, at vi skulle ud og have lov at bestemme noget mere selv. Og derfor vil britterne altså have et eller andet, der ligger midt imellem. Om han fik forklaret præcis, hvad det er, ja, det kan du selv få lov til at bedømme lige om et øjeblik. Det er ligesom hele kernen i Brexit-problemet, hvordan britterne både vil blive ved med at være med og samtidig melde sig ud. Til gengæld så sagde Robin Walker en ting meget klart, og det var, at i den overgangsordning, der skal være, og som vil træde i kraft her om et år, når britterne ryger ud, der vil britterne stadigvæk være med i det indre marked og i tolvunionen. Så igen et forsøg på at prøve at berolige danske virksomheder, danske landmænd, der eksporterer til Storbritannien, danske rædderier, der sejler i Storbritannien, og sige, i overgangsordningen vil alt være ved det gamle, og så skal vi lige forhandle den der nye ordning, men tag det nu roligt, det skal nok blive godt alt sammen. Du kan høre, hvordan Robin Walker selv udtrykte det lige her. The British and Danish people have always stood together as democracies, constitutional monarchies and outward-looking nations that believe in free trade. We have an enduring relationship with this country that goes beyond our membership of the EU. A relationship that has seen Danish businesses and green tech companies thrive in Britain, employing thousands of people. That has seen 30.000 Danes choose to make their home in the UK, and the UK increasingly adopting Danish words like hygge into our national vocabulary. 
It is a relationship based on strong commitment to free trade with bilateral trade between our nations worth 142 billion Danish kroner. So today I want to talk about how we want these ties to deepen in the future even after the UK has left the European Union. I know there were people in Denmark and many I suspect in this room who questioned why the UK voted to leave and indeed I've just been uh, discussing this morning with a group of Danish universities the huge benefit of our collaborations between UK and Danish uh, universities. Uh, looking through that prism, uh, of course we, we, we see uh, the benefits of, of working together and there is always that question uh, of the decision. But I do want to reassure you that the Brexit vote was in no way a rejection of the European values that we share. Values of tolerance, fair play, the rule of law and democracy. Because whilst Britain is leaving the EU, we are not leaving Europe. We'll continue to be your closest friends, partners and allies after we've left. The UK is Denmark's, one of Denmark's largest partners on research, the second uh, in Europe. And within Erasmus, we are the most popular place for Danes studying overseas. We don't want to see important collaboration on science and research diminished. Uh, and we do see the opportunities of continuing to work closely together in that space. We'll also continue our very close relationship on defence and security. And it's in that spirit of sincere friendship and cooperation that we are negotiating with the European Union in Brussels. Building on the agreements we reached in December, which secured the rights of thousands of Danes in the UK and Brits in Denmark, meaning that they can continue to live their lives as they do now. And we're now in the process of turning that agreement into legally binding text as part of our overarching withdrawal agreement. We want Brexit to mark the start of a new deep and special partnership with the EU. And of course, things won't look just as they do now. They can't if the British government is to deliver on that historic referendum result and realise the UK electorate's wish to have a greater control over our borders, our money and our laws. But our new partnership with the European Union should be ambitious. It should be fair and it should be balanced and it should benefit both sides of the negotiating table. It should be a partnership, therefore, that benefits Denmark as well. The UK is Denmark's fourth largest export market and it would be in neither side's interest to put up new barriers to trade. After 40 years of EU membership, the UK and the EU have stronger links with each other than any third country. And whilst we accept that the new principle that the new relationship will be based on a different balance of rights and obligations, we want this new partnership to reflect the rules and the regulations that we are already aligned to. We are each other's largest trading partners, and it should cover all sectors crucial to our linked economies. For Denmark, it includes industries like those represented in the room today, including industrial and agricultural goods, services, financial services, and the networked industries. For instance, 26% of Denmark's total trade in the finance and insurance sector is with the UK. The EU does have a variety of different trading relationships, but none of them would be appropriate for the UK's future relationship or in the mutual interests of both sides. Given the depth and the breadth of our existing relationship, an agreement modelled on existing EU FTAs such as CETA would result in a restriction in mutual market access that would benefit neither of our economies. Joining the EEA would represent too much of a loss of democratic control for the UK, whilst the CETA-style deal would offer too low a level of market access. But I'm confident that we can do much better and agree a deal that recognises our unique starting point. 
At the moment, we have exactly the same standards and regulations as, as the EU. And as David Davis, my Secretary of State, is explaining this morning in Vienna, we don't want to see these watered down because of Brexit. Instead of a race to the bottom, as some have suggested, Brexit can mean a race to the top in global standards. We've been clear that we intend to maintain and strengthen our high regulatory standards when we leave the EU. The UK has a world-class record on health and safety that delivers one of the lowest standardised rate of fatal, industries, uh, fatal injuries in the, uh, Europe. And the UK was the first country to set legally binding climate change targets to reduce our emissions and has now announced an ambitious 25-year environment plan. So as we move forward in our new partnership, we should build on this close cooperation build on the values that we share. And we acknowledge that to smooth the path for business as the relationship between the UK and the EU changes, it will be in no one's interest for businesses either here in Denmark or in the UK to delay decisions about their future or rush through contingency plans because of a lack of clarity about the UK and the EU's future relationship, which is precisely why both Britain and the EU have made strong arguments in favour of a transition or implementation period. David Davis set out in a speech last month what this implementation period, our bridge to the future, would entail. He said it would be time limited, but that it must, however, provide sufficient time for the EU and the UK and their businesses and citizens to put new processes and systems into place. And as the Prime Minister said, this currently points to a period of around two years. It will also mean access to one another's markets should continue on current terms, meaning that there will be only one set of changes for businesses. He explained that the UK and the EU agree that the basis for this period should be the existing structure of EU rules and regulations. This will mean that while we are no longer formally members of the single market and the customs union, we will continue to replicate their effect. We also want to agree with the EU a way of discussing any new laws that are brought in if we think they could be harmful to our interests. This will ensure that the implementation period operates smoothly, allowing us to resolve any issues that arise promptly. During this implementation period, people will of course be able to continue to travel between Denmark and the UK to live and work, but we will use this period to prepare for our future relationship and we will therefore introduce a registration scheme to pave the way for our new immigration system. This will not place any new burdens on businesses during the implementation period. All of these measures are important to underpin the strong growth already flourishing across our economy. Let me turn briefly to the security partnership about which the Prime Minister was speaking over the weekend. As the Prime Minister reaffirmed in Munich on Saturday, the UK remains unconditionally committed to continued cooperation with the EU on security. This partnership should cover all aspects of our security relationship with the EU, from foreign and defence policy to law enforcement and criminal judicial cooperation. We have deep and historic shared commitment in Europe to peace, democracy, freedom, and the rule of law. And in the UK, we are investing in that commitment. That is why we are the second largest defence spender in NATO and the only EU member to spend 2% of our GDP on defence as well as 0.7% of gross national income on international development. It's also why we've invested in critical capabilities, including our nuclear deterrent, our two new aircraft carriers, our world-class special forces and intelligence agencies. It is why the UK's total spend on defence R&D makes up around 40% of the total European spend. Denmark is one of the UK's closest allies, a relationship forged from a shared outlook and a history of cooperation, both bilaterally and through the EU. We work shoulder to shoulder 
with each other in fragile and conflict-affected countries and are amongst a handful of countries to have achieved the UN target of 0.7% of GNI on overseas spend. Indeed, Denmark exceeds that target and sets an inspirational example for other European countries to meet that pledge. In recent years, we've jointly deployed troops to Afghanistan, Syria, Libya and Sierra Leone. While as members of NATO, we are now working closely to provide support to our allies in Eastern Europe and 200 Danish troops recently joined the British Enhanced Forward Presence in Estonia. We also look forward to continue close working ahead of the Ukraine Reform Conference in Copenhagen, following from the London Conference in July last year. It is important that the international community continues to support Ukraine on its reform path and remind leaders of the importance of being able to demonstrate progress at the conference, particularly in the light of recent worrying signs of backsliding on reform. Promoting our shared values and tackling our shared threats remain a priority for the UK and we will continue to engage in the global challenges that we face together. The UK and the EU need to be able to work together to respond quickly and effectively to the changing threats we face from terrorism, serious and organised crime and other new developing threats such as cybercrime. So we want our partnership with the EU to build on the breadth and depth of our shared interests and values one that goes beyond the existing third country arrangements. This must be a partnership that underpins practical collaboration to tackle real-world challenges both within Europe and beyond. And as we design this partnership, we should focus closely upon the outcomes that we want to achieve together rather than on restrictive third country models that could hinder cooperation. So as we leave the European Union, Britain will aim for a new partnership, an ambitious, positive new relationship unprecedented in its closeness that takes account of the unique starting point and allows the freest possible trade in both goods and services and allows Britain and Denmark's relationship to go from strength to strength. The trade and investment between our nations will continue when the UK is outside the EU, as will the affection that our citizens hold for each other. We've entered these negotiations as friends and we want to conclude them as friends, friends who are working together to deliver security and prosperity across our continent. As the Prime Minister has said, it doesn't mean we are no longer a proud member of the European family of nations. It doesn't mean we are turning our back on Europe. We wish to see the EU succeed. We wish to see Denmark succeed. This is in our national interest and that of the wider world. Thank you. Ja, det sagde altså Robin Walker, minister i The Department for Exiting the EU. Det er noget af en ministerpost, han debuterer med den unge konservative politiker, som altså er en slags Brexit-minister i Storbritannien. Han talte på Altingets Brexit-konference, arrangeret sammen med den britiske ambassade her i København. Og jeg har et til indlæg fra den konference, jeg godt vil spille for jer. Det kommer fra Rob Wainwright, som er chef for det europæiske politisamarbejde Europol. Terror og ustabilitet i verden gør, at europæisk samarbejde fortsat er vigtigt, sagde Wainwright. Altså, de kriminelle arbejder mere og mere sammen hen over grænserne, så det bliver endnu mere vigtigt, at vi som myndigheder også arbejder sammen, ellers har vi ikke en chance, lød budskabet fra Wainwright. Og derfor er det ifølge ham også ekstra vigtigt at få britterne tilknyttet ordentligt efter Brexit. Britterne er nemlig, sagde han, den allerstørste leverandør af efterretningsoplysninger til det europæiske politisamarbejde. Så uden dem, ja, så vil der altså være en hel masse tips og oplysninger om kriminelle, som vil gå tabt i systemet. Det vil have nærmest katastrofale konsekvenser. 
Wainwright er også interessant, fordi han spillede en vigtig rolle, dengang Danmark skulle have en særaftale med Europol. Og derfor forholdt han sig også til, om den samme model kan bruges med Storbritannien. Det kan den måske godt, men så alligevel ikke. Hør selv, hvad Rob Wainwright sagde lige her. We have uh, every day uh, exchange of intelligence with the Danish police and other law enforcement authorities. Last year almost 400 new cross-border cases identified here in Denmark and channeled through 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 Europol. Very pleased as you heard in the introductory remarks that we could take care of the fact that the result of uh, a specific referendum here in Denmark was not going to unduly affect the security of Denmark and its citizens was not going to lead to the sudden dislocation of an important member state from this important security club in the European Union. So we found a, a specific agreement uh, which was uh, very specific in nature uh, because we were dealing with a unique case of a country, a member state that has chosen uh, no longer to be a full member of Europol but still to be a member of the European Union. And the modalities of that agreement that we did in very short order to ensure that there would be no break in the continuity of our cooperation are, are highly specific and ad hoc in, in nature. But it ensures, therefore, that uh, Denmark, Danish police services can still have access to our databases. What we don't have, however, because of this agreement and because of the effects of that referendum is that Denmark no longer has direct access to our databases. So instead we've created a unique arrangement where our, there are four seconded experts, two here in Copenhagen and two at Europol's headquarters in The Hague, that are somehow the interface uh, with Europol because it's a condition of our legal framework that only member states of Europol shall have direct access to a database. So there's a, a time lag perhaps a little bit in the way in which that works. And it means, for example, that when we later this year or next year roll out a, program, a very important program for us called Quest, which will give on-the-spot access to member states police officers directly to our, our databases, not just therefore from the headquarters but uh, on, on the streets as well, that that will not be something uh, that will be... Uh, given to the Danish police officers. So there is an important difference, but one nonetheless that we're trying to minimize the effects of. Denmark is still a member of the European Management Board, but now not as a voting member, but as in, in an observer status. Now some of that perhaps applies to our thinking around our future cooperation with the United Kingdom. Certainly the same general principles uh, apply. Um, I say the same thing again. We cannot allow an important member state, Denmark, United Kingdom, any other, we cannot allow that important member state to be suddenly dislocated from this well-developed, well-functioning form of police cooperation. Because in the end, this is about making sure that we continue to protect our citizens from future terrorist attacks, that we have the best means possible to deal with these enterprising cyber attacks, and so on. It really is important. So we're trying to avoid a means, I hope, in the future with the Brexit deal where there will be no significant fragmentation of our European security effort. The UK, of course, is a much bigger country than Denmark. And as such, its influence on Europe is even greater. And 
uh, even the strategic development, almost the DNA of how Europol uh, functions, even before I arrived, uh, you, uh, you can see a British footprint uh, around some of that. Britain is currently the top intelligence providers to most of our project areas. Um, it's driving many of our operations in a leading capacity, for example. And is currently the chair of our counter-terrorist program board, which is a, means by a very important body, which, as the name suggests, coordinates how member states use Europol to fight terrorism. So the UK has a leading role, and we need to minimise the effects of what Brexit means uh, to that. Not just, of course, in the UK's interests. Uh, although I'm British, um, my job is to uh, act as an EU official with the best interests of all 28 member states. And I immediately recognise that any dislocation of any member state is going to harm Europol. Um, because of the engagement that we have from such close cooperation. So this is in the end about ensuring that the collective security interests of Europe are, are protected and safeguarded as much as possible. Now I think that's reflected in the thinking and indeed the speech making of the British Prime Minister and the response that we've been hearing from people in Brussels such as Michel Barnier, Jean-Claude Juncker, uh, there's an understanding, I think, that on security this really matters, of course, uh, perhaps in a different way to trade and the economy. On security we can't afford to take many risks uh, with what comes next. There are some comparisons with Denmark that don't really work. So when we have established these ad hoc arrangements by which the Danish police can still access our databases, for example, that, in theory, is possible with the United Kingdom, but the scale is of a different magnitude. The UK currently contributes seven times as, as many intelligence contributions as Denmark does. That's no surprise, given the relative size of the countries and the respective law enforcement communities. So the scale is different and might require, therefore, different thinking, not least uh, to ensure that the arrangements we put in place under any deal that we have for the UK's association with Europol in the future, those arrangements are of course practical and can be implemented as well. So let me end by summarising the, well, the picture I'm painting that I see every day and my colleagues see in, in the uh, enormous quantities of, of information intelligence that we're collecting is a more dynamic, more complex and challenging security threat that relies in particular on a cohesive response, uh, that that response and the future of U Europe's security depends on our staying together as much as possible. Uh, I'm actually quite positive that we can find a deal as part of Britain's exit from the EU that will secure those goals uh, and I'm looking forward of course to hearing like you are what the outcome of those negotiations might be. Thank you. Ja, det var altså Rob Wainwright, chefen for Europol, der talte her. Og det gjorde han på Altingets Brexit-konference, som blev holdt i København i samarbejde med den britiske ambassade. Og med det indlæg, så er vi ved vejs ende i denne her særudgave af Parlamentet, Altingets podcast om Europa. Inden vi slutter helt, så skal jeg lige gøre reklame for næste udgave af Parlamentet, fordi der er altså en rigtig lækker bisken på vej der. Thomas Lauritsen, vores europa og den sædvanlige vært på podcasten, han taler med Lars Løkke Rasmussen, Danmarks Stat, 
statsminister om, hvordan Europa og Danmarks forhold til Europa skal se ud efter Brexit. Og han spørger ham i øvrigt også, hvad Lars Lykke Rasmussen synes om ideen om Margrethe Vestager som formand for kommissionen, som der bliver visket om i krogene i Bruxelles. Hvis du vil høre, hvad Lars Lykke siger til den idé, så skal du bare lytte med næste gang parlamentet går i luften herinde på Altingets podcast, hvad enten du lytter på iTunes eller Soundcloud eller inde på altinget.dk. Det er helt op til dig. Denne podcast bliver produceret med mediestøtte fra Europaparlamentet, men det er Altinget, der alene har ansvaret for podcastens indhold. Ansvarshævende redaktør er mig selv. Jeg hedder Jakob Nielsen. Redaktør er Thomas Lauritsen og producer er Henrik Bugter. Det var alt for denne gang. Vi høres ved her i parlamentet, Altingets podcast om Europa. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.